Hello and welcome to Thought Architecture, where everything's made up and the points don't matter. <laughs> um, yeah, welcome back. So we just finished our series on what I call the human operating system. And so today's, today's audio is going into detail on one of the comments that was in there, which was um, a callback to some of the emotional stuff, which is to say that, well, if you do all these things, uh, for example, in the, in the audio, we were talking about how uh, feeling like part of a group and, um, you know, doing trustfuls and things like that. Like, why is it that we don't see, um, you know, everybody smiling and cheering at company retreats and in the military and things like that, people who do belong to communities. And so this episode is based on um, the very simple point of the emotional musculature. And so with that, I'm going to propose um, this idea that yes, emotions are like muscles, number one. Number two is that I think that what we need to say is that everybody's context is different. So remember the rule number three, which is context is king. And so in saying that, a person coming from a context where they are in a place of lack, need, desperation. I want you to imagine someone who has no money coming in and the decisions that they make around starting a business are going to be very focused around making money. I need money to live. I don't have money in the bank, you know, so my business needs to happen today. And so I will, you know, like take anything. The result of this is, of course, that um, bad decisions are made, bad business decisions usually. So that is coming from a place of motivation of, let's say, um, in a simple way, I like to use the scale of negative one or lack, zero or, you know, um, in a place where, you're not lacking anything, but, you know, life could be better. And then in a state of plus one where life is, you know, fantastic and we have the space, the time, the resources to develop it even further. And if you remember back to the first audio, we're talking about developing for the sake of others, not for the sake of making life better for ourselves and making it more awesome, but for a social purpose of pushing forward the entire species. You know, being rooted in this kind of motivation where you're looking after yourself because a well-balanced, integrated individual means that the group benefits. You know, one of those ideas of like the rising tide raises all boats. And so very simply put, that's how it is. So first of all, we need to establish context. Is this person coming from a place of negative one? In which case we need to patch holes. We need to get this place, this person to a zero, to a place where they are... Um, not experiencing pain and then once you're at a zero you can stay at a zero for ages where you're not necessarily in pain but you're not necessarily living a fulfilled life and you start looking for fulfillment and happiness and things like that okay so there's a lot to be said about this and the rules that govern joining a community for example so if you're in the military well did you choose to join this military are you in the military because you want to belong to this group or you're in the military because you need money. And so doing things like trustfuls or um, group ex exercises that make you build up your team spirit. You know, yes, they can be more or less effective depending on the person's internal environment, the person's internal context. What is their history coming into this point? What is their purpose? What is their vector in the future going forward? And largely the same with company retreats. If you go to a, like corporate retreats, a lot of people aren't aligned within the corporation's values, purposes, etc. And even then, are they aligned with the leaders? 
You know, one of the statistics I remember reading a couple of years ago was that you are less likely to leave a job from job dissatisfaction. You're more likely to leave a job because of a poor manager, a manager you don't agree with. And actually reflecting on why I left my job um, in the school that I was teaching in was largely because I felt mismanaged by the manager. Regardless of whether it was true or not, it was my feelings. My context was that this manager was a problem, even though I was dissatisfied with the job. So we, we come into that place as well where, okay, we've got an individual context. So this is not me backing out and saying, oh, you know, it all just depends. It all just, you know, we need to take it all on a case-by-case basis. Absolutely not. Because there are a lot, that, a lot of things that we can do to bring it up to um, a place where we can start to see similarities with everyone, i.e., if we have a community that we choose to be a part of, well, that requires a certain amount of skills. So for today, I'm going to be introducing um, two key ideas. Okay, so the key idea number one um, is that there's a lot of research that shows that training something doesn't actually mean that you're better. Uh, so what I mean by this is, especially when we're talking about the brain, if you learn something, if you just learn uh, knowledge or you learn that you have unconscious biases, it's not going to change how you behave. Okay, Behavioral change versus knowledge introduction are two separate things. And so knowledge introduction is great. And then you need to experiment with it to create behavioral change. And you need a lot of consistency and you need to see a lot of things. You need to have a good layout of a model. So, for example, um, very famous at the moment is this idea that um, self-help gurus, coaches will charge X amount. And if you don't see the results, a lot of the time, you don't necessarily question the coach. You question yourself and you're like, well, was I really doing what the coach told me to do? Was I really putting in all the efforts? You know, we tend to blame ourselves. Now, this, this type of situation right here is perfect. You know, your behavior of blaming yourself based on the model that you were given instead of questioning the model like, well, did this person actually know what they were talking about or not? So try and test the models first. Try and apply them first and then, you know, dip your toes into the behavioral change thing and see how well it works as well. Because sometimes there are smaller, more micro models and sometimes there are more macro models as well. And it's the macro models that apply to everyone, the micro models. And so straight away, I'm asking you to differentiate between all these different models. So let's get into it. Okay, so number one is just training something is not actually going to change your behavior. Learning about something is not going to change your behavior. So if you go through unconscious bias training, there's research that suggests it, it's just not effective for the vast majority of people. It doesn't actually change anything. The reason why? Well, because people aren't actually trying to actively change their behavior in real life, their habits. And it's only when we start doing that that we can start to say, oh, okay, I'm exercising these muscles. I want you to imagine uh, there's a couple of examples in popular um, media at the moment, but I want you to imagine that you did 100 bicep curls with max weight, etc. on your one arm and the other arm you did nothing. You actually avoided using one arm. Pretty soon you're going to look like, if you watch Rick and Morty, um, the one where they were doing 
um, the Mad Max one, and Morty had this giant muscular arm attached to his body. Uh, if you want to go for a M. Night Shyamalan, you've got that lady in the water where the guy was doing this as an experiment to, to see what was the difference between his arms. Um, but very simply, or my favorite example is Quagmire from Family Guy discovers internet porn and people don't see him for a week. And then, you know, you just see one arm is huge and the other arm is, is normal. So it's the same to be said with your uh, emotional and social musculature. And you've got to know what musculature is overdeveloped, what musculature is not even looked at. Uh, are you developed in a lopsided manner as well? Like, do you have a tendency to favor certain emotions over others? And just knowing about it isn't going to change that. You then have to do a lot of work to then balance out your musculature. And noticing that lopsidedness, raising your awareness of this is the first step. Measuring it, just measuring where, well, like how often do I go there is the first step. That in of itself is is straight away a ton of work. So if I told you to go into the gym and say, well, I'm going to write you a program. I want you to do three sets of 10 pull-ups without asking you first, what is your beginning context? How many pull-ups can you do? Well, let's try. Let's, let's do an assessment. Let's see. Let's measure. Let's observe. Are you feeling good today? Yes. Are your muscles fatigued? No. Okay, great. What is your max effort pull-up that you can do? And you do it for me and let's say you do 10 then that's going to factor into my programming where I'm going to write down and say, okay, well, I want you to do 70% of your maximum. So let's say three sets of seven repetitions, you know, if 10 is your max. But even if you can't do that, let's, let's do uh, one set at seven, one set at six, and one set at five. And then the next week we'll bring two sets at seven and one set at five. And then two sets at seven and one set at six. And then progressively overload. But you can't just come into it without knowing where you're starting from. Or without knowing what is your target? What is your goal? Do you want to just get better at pull-ups? Do you want to increase your form? Do you want to do a lot of pull-ups? Or do you just want to increase your strength? There's a lot of different examples that we can go into here. But the very simple point is that we need to know what is your starting point. Okay. And then trying to develop from there, we ask the question is, where do you want to go? So a lot of people, they say this idea of, oh, I just want to be happy. And actually, if you look at the classic happiness kind of paradigm, you know, the range of human emotions was put down to, it depends on where you look. It's like five or six different emotions where we're talking about, um, you know, the classic ones of uh, happiness, sadness, disgust, anger, contempt, surprise. Um, if you know that, uh, that old model, then we say, well, I don't want to feel sadness, so I just want to feel happiness all the time. Yes, of course. Why wouldn't you choose happiness? And we come into this kick of toxic positivity. Well, if I'm running down the streets and I see a bear in front of me, yeah, I can be happy and positive about it, but that's not going to change the fact that I'm in front of a bear. So, there is this idea of toxic positivity, which says that positive emotions everywhere, you know, like to get that positive mindset, that can-do attitude. That's part of my French, a lot of bollocks. Well, I was going to say a bad word and I just remembered, you know, like, well, maybe I've got people listening to this that I don't want to hear me swear. So anyway, um, toxic positivity, that's a big deal, you know, and that's a, a state to say that all your other emotions aren't valid 
Do you think that there's, there's nothing valuable about anger, sadness, etc.? You know, you tell someone um, who just lost a job or something like that to just, oh, just buck up and be happy. No. What happens if you suppress emotions? Well, you know what? They go down and they explode in times where you don't have um, particular patience or things like that. So toxic positivity, not a good thing. So I want to the, um, share with you, so if you see in the links below, scientists actually pinpointed 27 different states of emotion, 27 different ones. Um, just a quick example for you, we've got things like craving as an emotional state, calmness, uh, aesthetic appreciation, appreciation as, you know, um, as an emotional state, awe, admiration, joy, adoration, amusement, and those are all positive emotions. We still get things like awkwardness, anxiety, confusion, you know, we get uh, sexual desire, romance, disgust, horror, fear, anxiety, surprise, sadness. Like, I will share this, and it is so interesting to look at. And just this one thing, just from seeing this, we can infer a lot from this. Now, the way that it broke down is they could actually pinpoint the reactions of, let's say, watching one video. Um, and so what do I have here? I'm not too sure which video it was, but they said 82% amusement, 36% interest, 27% uh, excitement, 18% awkwardness. So, of course, it doesn't add up, but it's the idea of like, okay, well, on a scale of 1 to 10, how high did they turn up their amusement dial? Oh, 8 out of 10. Uh, interest was turned up three, maybe four out of 10. Excitement was turned up two out of 10. And so we've got this idea of the emotional dials. We can't just say it's a spectrum of, uh, you know, where we're saying, oh, well, this, uh, this is moving on a sliding scale up and down. It doesn't work like that. We have combinations. We literally have combinations, just like you can have combination, combinations of colors uh, by turning up your orange meter to 10 out of 10 intensity and turning turning down your blues to zero and things like that. So this model of considering um, emotions where there's far more emotions, you have access to far more dials, okay? And um, practicing those, those settings is actually muscular um, in nature and it can create an automaticity as well. And so very simply put, if we come to this idea of the broaden and build theory as well, that's the second point that I really wanted to bring into this audio. The broaden and build theory is one of the uh, leading ideas in uh, positive emotion and positive psychology. And it was developed by uh, Barbara Fredrickson, uh, a researcher. Now, she was talking about this as well, where, yes, negative emotions have a survival impact, okay? Uh, fear, anger, disgust, etc. They've got they've got a survival mechanism dialed in. Like you might be asking, like on the the previous one, I've got horror as an emotion, disgust and fear. Well, what's the point of those? Well, consider that disgust is something that's evolutionary is put into us so that we avoid things that could kill us or be bad for our health. For example. Um, you know, <clears throat> farts smell and we're disgusted usually by the, the smell of farts. Well, there's a particular presence of sulfur in there. There's a particular presence of bacteria and other things that smell like it. So, you know, like rotten eggs or 
if you've been near volcanoes and you've um, you can smell sulfur in the air as well um, and this type of thing it, it usually means that well if you went into those vents where sulfur is spitting out the side of a volcano you're actually going to pass out and die it's a po highly toxic highly poisonous to the body so even the slightest presence of it you're going to be disgusted and try and move away from it so negative emotions have this purpose of survival right so she says well what's the point of positive emotions and the idea with positive emotions is to be able to obviously enjoy life a little bit more now from from all my readings i mean you know please let me know if you've researched this topic if you find it different um, but i find there's a consistent message on four points these four points and developing each of these points like a muscle so for example having gym days and knowing how long to work out how frequently you need to work out things like that it's a super important so these four different muscles are in no special order number one uh, curiosity curiosity and you it, you exercise this muscle with exploring a topic that's interesting that's exciting or it doesn't even have to be exciting or interesting it's just oh i didn't know so you know a quick question that uh, someone asks you like oh i wonder how bees communicate and go and explore that topic you know and you might be quite interested to find out and so you prom promotes this idea of i don't know and that's okay it's okay for me to not know something and it's very easy for me to find an answer for it so go and explore so that's number one uh the second emotion um in again no particular order is joy and the joy of the moment so we're talking about the idea of play so how frequently do you play and it can be alone or with people but you basically are lost in the action you're not you don't care about the result who wins or loses you play for the sake of playing and so it's a completely processed momentary based thing that's supposed to bring you pleasure so everybody's losing their mind over Seth Godin's latest thing on the Tim Ferriss podcast, asking the question of like, what would you do if you know you were going to fail? Well, that's a bit dumb. You know, it's maybe I'm just being too harsh here. But for me, I, I don't think like that. You know, well, failure is part of learning anyway. So straight away, there's nothing wrong with failure. But if you're in a world where everyone sees failure as bad and success is good, which is the way that we're taught to think, then, you know, maybe it's a good question. Uh, however, for me, it's the idea of, well, we play all the time and you're almost guaranteed failure when you play anyway, but you don't play to win or lose. You usually play because it's enjoyable. We have competitions and rewards and consequences from um, the way that we play, but that's not necessarily meaning that it's fun anymore. You know, imagine just playing a, a quick game of basketball with a friend on a Saturday morning you know, before you start your day or something like that. You're not going to run around and be like, yeah, I won. You know, the whole point is that you want your friend to come back again. You want to enjoy your time with your friend. And like, who cares about the points? Maybe you can make it a game where you say, oh, yeah, you know, if you win, I'll buy you a coffee. And if you win, you buy me a coffee, you know, and you keep it a little bit more playful. So that's the second one. The third one then after that is going to be contentment. And the verb here, the action that we have to do is savor. And it's the idea of stopping a moment and taking stock of the moment. Look, I've got people with me that I love. 
I'm feeling an emotion that I enjoy. I'm consuming this food, this drink that I really love. Um, I can't believe that I'm in this place. This is fantastic. This is amazing for me. I, I'm so surprised that this one thing is catching my attention right now. So to be able to savor a moment, so it's stopping uh, in the middle of something and actually taking stock of the moment and enjoying all of the elements that come in and create the context of the moment. Okay. The last one then is going to be sharing with others. Okay. And sharing is both the, the emotion and it is also the action that you need to do. So it could be sharing anything. It could be reporting back to people and sharing what was your experience, what was what were your feelings, what were your findings, what was your, I don't know, whatever, your your list. But it could also be sharing moments with other people. For example, sharing the exploration, sharing the uh, contentment, the savoring, you know, um, sharing literally anything. And so it comes back to this point of, okay, cool, if these are going to be the positive emotional muscles, then let's take stock and ask the question of uh, how frequently do you actually exercise these muscles on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, on a daily basis? How frequently do you actually have time to do this? And it doesn't need to be measured like, oh, it must be an hour a week. It could just be like, well, I don't have time to schedule it in. But what I'm going to try and do is start my day with the intention of exploring a little bit more or noticing how often I explore first. How often do I share first? So one of the big ones for me, and just taking stock of my life, um, the big ones for me last year was joy. I don't play enough, and I need to play a lot more. And so noticing just that lopsided development, my curiosity, my exploration is evident to anyone who knows me on a personal level. They'll be like, yep, yep. You just sit Justin down in front of a computer and give him a topic that he's curious about and he'll be done for hours, you know, days even. Um, so the simple point is I enjoy going down rabbit holes and being consumed by this type of thing. Uh, and so, very simply put, the joy doesn't come naturally to me. The sharing of it, you know, I need to exercise the muscles around that, the social muscles around sharing, where I don't just... You know, people say, hey, what did you do? And I'm like, well, I just spent 24 hours researching this, blah, blah, blah. And you see it works together, blah, 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 blah. You know, it has to be a lot more managed socially. And I would say that in the last few years, my social muscles have been exercised once I learned more about them. There's nothing worse than a person saying, okay, uh, please stop, calm down. Uh, I can't keep up, you know, things like that. So that is on my part, the social muscles. So instead of getting upset with my friends, I'm now like, oh, okay, I, need to, I clearly need to um, be able to stage the way that I talk to someone and introduce these topics and give them the choice to opt in or opt out, you know, because maybe they're just not feeling it. Maybe they're super tired. Maybe they stayed up all night with their kids. So there is this idea of social musculature and emotional musculature. And for happiness, emotional musculature set in the terms of number one, the broaden and build theory. Okay. And number two, then the idea of there are more emotions and everything is such a mix, a blend of emotions that it's not just the simple answer of, oh, just be happy, just smile, fake it till you make it. That'll help you out. 
you're not necessarily exercising your, your, your musculature correctly. You're not identifying any kind of lopsidedness in your development. You're not looking at contextual cues and what is a better fit for a context. And so if this all seems like it's overwhelming and far too complex for you, um, what I would suggest is focusing on the broaden and build theory, which is just four emotional states and having some time to play a little bit, having some time to explore a little bit, you know, try and fit some regular games in your time with people, you know, try and explore a little bit with people without people, and then try and uh, savor as many moments as you can, a good cup of coffee, a moment of silence in your day, just enjoying a good song or dancing with somebody um, randomly, you know, at work, at home, whatever the case may be, you know, and that's actually one of the, the, the most fun things that I enjoy now is also awkwardness and laughing at awkwardness now and enjoying and savoring awkward moments. I do like that when like someone trips a little bit in the streets or something like that. And um, I'm like, hey, I know what that feels like. Don't worry, you're good. Are you okay? You know, that kind of thing. And then laughing at it like, yeah, humans, you know, we think we're so great. But actually, the truth is we're just weird, weird animals. <laughs> All right. So I think that's, uh, that's a lot of data in one point. If you want me to go into more detail with this type of thing, absolutely. Um, I am going to uh, ref refer back to this type of stuff. Uh, I'm going to provide any links to the stuff that I've referenced as well um, in the notes. So pay attention to that. Uh, like I said, if you have any questions or any topics that you, um, any burning desires you want me to kind of uh, go through and my opinions on these things, let me know. Um, send a comment, send a message, whatever it is. Uh, if you're enjoying this, um, you know, do me a favor, go to iTunes, give me a rating or Stitcher, give me a rating, you know, like anything like that helps get the word out, the message out. And uh, yes, I'm looking forward to much, much, much more. Until then, ciao, ciao.